fortune in the wide world. Take my chances in the cold. Come what may, I'll be okay. Somewhere there's a stretch of open road. Little bit of Peter Case's Open Road song. I seek my fortune in the wide world. Take my chances in the cold. Love that tune. Love to get out on the open road myself right now. Well, hey, friends, if you're listening to this, uh, I, I assume that we've established a functioning government. Uh, if not, you know, you're probably cowering in a basement with a flashlight and a radio rather than listening to Otis Brown podcasts. So if you're here, um, that's a good sign. Thanks. You know, in The Wild One, the great Marlon Brando film that came out right after he um, became famous for being in Tennessee Williams, this great streetcar named Desire, uh, he gets in a fight with uh, Lee Marvin's character, Chino, and Chino gets carted off by the police singing, the shame of it all, the shame of it all. And there's a scene with Chino in jail. And in the background, there's something interesting to me. There's a little, like, I don't know, almost a caricature thing that's hard to make out. But there's also an arrow that has a two and an N on either side of it. In hobo language, that was supposed to represent, uh, I'm two miles north on the railroad tracks. So the assumption is that, you know, you're buddy who you're rallying up with is going to also get locked up because that's the kind of town it is and he's going to know that you're two miles north that hobo language has caught the attention of artists and intellectuals who have mythologized it in various ways um, also like a lot of mythologies uh, it's questionable the extent to which it was actually practiced by hobos a lot of that language, too, people don't seem to talk about this, but comes from the circus. In the circus, there was a guy called the Ad Man, or the Advanced Man. He'd go to a town, and, and uh, not only would he sort of, uh, you know, make some business arrangements, he'd often make some arrangements with the press, too, so he could stage something like, you know, an elephant running amok. And uh, he would go along, and he would post certain directions on the... Um, on phone poles and things like that, so that the circus, when it was traveling by by truck, you know, not by train, obviously, um, could find its way to the to the circus grounds. And the circus grounds were often improvised; they were often like a field that they would rent, so they weren't like you know follow the directions to the county fairgrounds. Um, so anyway, there's an overlap between that circus culture and that hobo culture, and most of the hobo language that we have and that we know comes from a particular source. And it comes from a, a guy named Leon Ray Livingston who called himself the Rambler. And he was a writer. He, he, he styled himself the king of the hobos. I'm not sure the extent to which he was actually a hobo, but uh, he went by A number one was his moniker. Hobos um, have a moniker. This is true. They, you know, have like a, I don't know, a street name, or in biker culture you'd call it a road name. Uh, but, you know, obviously they don't want to go around using their real name. Um, so I'm not sure about uh, Leon Ray Livingston, but, you know, A number one. But a lot of the hobos, the most famous hobos, of course, weren't hobos at all. 
I don't mean that they didn't do some hoboing. I'm just saying that they weren't, you know, in it for the long term. I mean, people like Jimmy Rogers, the singing break man, Jack Kerouac, people, uh, Jack London. Jimmy Rogers and Jack Kerouac both, both spent more time working on the railroad than they did hopping freight trains. And other people hopped freight trains who were famous, you know, and wrote about it intermittently. People like the composer Harry Parch. I don't know that the distinction is that important, but I would consider them more hobo-adjacent. You know, there's a great book called Sister of the Road, the autobiography of Boxcar Bertha. It was turned into a film in the early 1970s. But anyway, it was a, a faux autobiography of a, of a female hobo, Boxcar Bertha. It was written by Emma Goldman's boyfriend, a physician named Ben Reitman. And Jack Kerouac, of course, whenever he needed money, he would, um, you know, have his aunt wire him some. So I don't know why I'm really interested in this distinction, but I guess, um, you know, what we hear of the hobo experience mostly comes from writers who uh, take a little trip into hobodom briefly and then come back out of it. So, you know, the literary hobo, uh, whether it's Jack London or Jack Kerouac or or Jimmy Rogers or the other people who sing about it, it's a... You know, it's a, a part of the American mythology, and it's heavily mythologized, obviously. It's not representative of people who actually stay in that for a long time. And I guess I am interested in remembering that distinction. I think it's really compelling to some people to feel like they're on the inside of some secret knowledge, and they're probably really reluctant to... Uh, to come to terms with the fact that probably somebody just made it up at home. When I was a kid, like in, in high school, or maybe just out of high school, there was a an interesting film that we got a hold of called Hobo. It was made by a guy named John Davis who was English, Welsh, or something. It wasn't an Ameri he wasn't an American, but anyway, he made this hobo film, and he followed around and traveled with a guy called Bear Grease, who was a really fascinating and interesting character. And there were some other characters who came in and out. And it's, it's interesting because, in a way, you know, the other characters who moved in and out were probably more representative than Bear Grease. I think that's how these documentaries work, you know. It's like you go into a subculture... And you find that one out of a hundred or, or fewer characters who are really interesting and really compelling. And then, incidentally, by following that person and making that person the center of your, of your movie, uh, that person comes to, to be seen as representative of a group of people that he's hardly representative of at all. So this guy Bear Grease was fascinating. He's... He's called in the, you know, promotional material for the movie a, a part-time hobo and full-time philosopher. And he's a really thoughtful and an intelligent guy, and he's very compelling. Um, even though there's some sort of real stuff that we see in his life, too, and we, we have a little bit of backstory, like he, he interacts with his daughter over the phone in a way that's not, it's not exactly upbeat. But anyway, he's, he's sort of 
I think he and that film inspired a lot of uh, young people of my generation to go out and and try to travel by the rails and try to recreate some of that hobo thing. And there was a whole sort of spate of uh, of young people that you saw traveling around like that, and they sort of continue to do that now, though it seems to be a little bit tailing off. But you'd see young people come through town. Um, you know, we live in a railroad town here. See them in the rail yards in Roseville and Sacramento. And and uh, they had a certain kind of Mad Max-like look to them, I guess. And, and uh, you still see it a little bit, but it's sort of tapered off. I've had a couple of students who were travelers, as they call themselves, and they were sort of a version of modern-day hobos. There's a, a fairly recent and really interesting documentary called Who is Bozo Texino by a guy named Bill Daniel, who who was of my generation, and he traveled around by train and, and sort of did this thing um, that I'm talking about, probably inspired by this hobo movie. And, uh, you know, he he also finds his bear grease, you know, and his, his people who are particularly articulate about something that maybe the bulk of the people who are doing the ad activity do not intellectualize in quite the same way. Or maybe they do, but, you know, it's, it's the nature of a film to select the exceptional rather than the, the representative. And nostalgia for this sort of thing seems to be generational uh, somewhat. I don't know. I mean, both of my grandfathers hoboed a little bit um, and had stories of their hobo trips and it seems to be a fairly common experience for poor and working class young men to do for a while of their generation so I think that we were nostalgic for that generation um, and I don't know there may be people still doing it it's hard to tell the extent to which people do something because you know it's all on YouTube now like there are a lot of people on YouTube talking about riding trains, um, but their numbers, I guess, are hard to gauge. And, you know, when I was a young kid, there were still old men around who looked like old-fashioned hobos, you know, with the, with the worn-out suits on, like in the Roger Miller song, The King of the Road. The Bill Daniel film kind of focuses on these uh, those monikers I was talking about. And they're old. They've been around for a long time. I mean, in in uh, the road, you know, Jack Car- Jack Car- Jack London talks about Sailor Jack was his monica, and he talked about how people, uh, you know, he wrote them in various places, and they were, you know, originally thought to be a, a mode of communication. You know, like you'd put them on the side of a water tank or outside of a rail yard, and it'd be like, oh, Sailor Jack is here, and your friends could look out for him. Sometimes they date them, they'd put them on trains and send them around, and they'd be simply, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm still out here in the world tonight, I'm still alive, or whatever. Um, and these things continue to, to generate a lot of interest. The most famous of them was Bozo Texino. And, uh, you know, you can look this up, you, you see the image, but it's sort of a, a guy in a cowboy hat smoking. They're very simple. They were done in either chalk or, or mostly these paint pens. They're like a grease pen, pencil that has paint in it and mark it and it stays for quite a while. And uh, and people would mark the train with them and then, you know, you, you know that they existed. 
Bozo Texino, the most famous of them, uh, you know, the, the Bill Daniel film, kind of seeks to find out the identity of, of Bozo Texino. It turns out that he was probably, one, he was probably a, uh, a railroad employee, a brakeman, maybe. And um, two, that the most famous of these monikers um, become a meme. They're like Bird Lives After Charlie Parker Died or Kilroy Was Here in World War II, and they just sort of like spread, you know, many people participate in their spread and propagation. In the Bill Daniel film about Bozo Texino, Daniel finds his, uh, you know, his Bear Grease, his philosopher, and it's a guy who calls himself Buzz Blur, and his moniker is um, the Colossus of Rhodes. It's really interesting. It's a it's a guy in a cowboy hat. It's a it's a self portrait. Most of them are are a type of self portrait. It's a pipe in his mouth, and then the smoke streaming back. And then uh, he says to avoid the redundant commonness of the image, he began to add you know, topical inscriptions. A lot of them had to do with things like, you know, the railroad and strike, changes in railroad culture. And this guy sort of very self-consciously as a, as, a, as a piece of art and in response to a literary tradition, you know, he cites Jack Kerouac. He also cites some photographers and other sort of artists that he's interested in. And he uh, participates in what he calls his philatelic art project. He's like putting a postage stamp on these train cars and then they send out in the world and then he's able to uh he's able to uh you know have his self-portrait seen all over the the u.s and probably parts of mexico he makes the point that there are more self-portraits riding the rails than there are by picasso rembrandt van gogh and that they're seen by uh, more people and that they represent a democratic art form that's uh totally outside of art world conventions and it allows an artist to participate and sort of uh, communicate in a type of art that I think, you know, uh, despite not being written by hobos, is still really interesting and it still serves that really ancient impulse of art to just say like, you know, I exist, I'm here. It's complicated though because Buzz Blur, despite not having really a lot of training, knows a hell of a lot about the modern art world. And he and um, another famous moniker artist called the Rambler uh, were both railroad employees. And, uh, and, you know, just when they're working, sometimes they're just standing around between trains coming in or whatever work they have to do. And they both talk about having, you know, the kind of crappy shifts where they have to work alone and isolated and they just started marking these trains and they can just carry this little paint pencil in their pocket and go around and just mark hundreds of them at a time. <laughs> and, and they obviously have, uh, they're not getting chased out of the yard by the railroad bulls and the other things that, uh, that the hobos and other train riders are constantly having to dodge. And so they're able to populate the world with many more of these uh, little postage stamps to the world than, you know, if you were marking them when you were, uh, you know, riding the rails. 
And then young people, graffiti artists, other people, you know, mostly of the white middle class um, are interested in this and, and they, they're interested in a sort of, uh, you know, non-commercial art form that they can participate in that's sort of outside the dominant culture. And, and, and again, I think it's interesting, but it's not, you know, connected to actual hobos. You know, I study the whales and the whale boats and the whaling. And I often think of the Nantucket Whaler, the Essex uh, source book for Moby Dick. Um, and, you know, the, the whale um, stove the ship. It sank. The men took to the whale boats and went on a horrific journey across the Pacific. And they ended up, uh, you know, most of them eating each other. Owen Coffin, a young whaler, was the cousin um, of the uh, of the captain of the ship. Uh, lost a lottery where they draw they drew straws and decided to uh, eat him. And I wrote a poem that I don't think is as successful as a poem. You can't see it anywhere or anything, but um, it's called Dying Art. And I imagine those last desperate moments in that whaleboat of that young man who uh, scratched in the seat of the whaleboat where he would be uh, shot, killed, and eaten by his companions. An image of a whale, an expression of his uh, ambitions to have a career as a whaler, as so many in his family had before him. And I was thinking about and imagining that basic impulse of art that I've talked about before, which was to simply record the fact that you had consciousness, that you were human, and to have some faith that after you're gone, some aspect of that uh, is accessible to somebody who will see it later and that you might live in that way. And I guess, if nothing else, these hobo monikers, they might not be some authentic secret uh, form of communication between travelers, or they may be I think they answer to that very basic impulse of art that seems to be so important even while, or maybe especially while, things are really, really bad. I'm trying to maintain my faith in art through the hard times the country's going through right now, and I'm continuing to believe that we can be lifted up by it. And when I think about these hobo monikers, they're responding to that most primal, basic impulse of art to leave a record of your existence. Hey, I'm a thinking, living, breathing person. I'm a subject of knowledge, and I can pass some of that on to you. And if you see this, and you see it again, and you see it somewhere else, you might start to think about who created it and what their relationship is to you and why you might find it compelling. So even though I've been maybe a little bit skeptical about some of the hobo lore and the extent to which it actually uh, you know, is, is practiced by people in the world, I'm not cynical about these train monikers as an important form of expression. And I think, you know, like a lot of other things, that can't be commodified necessarily, um, that there's a kind of purity to it. And I don't know if that sounds naive or not, but I believe it. And I, uh, and I, I think you should check these out because I think you might find them to be 
to be interesting. And you might, if you live somewhere near an old-fashioned boxcar line, which I still do, you might see some of these images and see them repeated, and they might cause you to think about uh, the lives of people you can't see. That's what they've done for me. Okay, well, thank you, friends. Be well. I don't know where the world is when I'm giving you this podcast on the 20th. I know where it was a week ago, and it was grim. I think we are overdue for a revolution in this country, but I pray and I hope and I believe and I work towards the idea that the revolution is a revolution of kindness and we can dial down the cruelty. Hope you're well. See you next week.